Okay, so this is part two. I was talking about how President Zelensky has united the world. In part one, I, I meant to have it all done by now, but in part one, we talked about a number of places, a number of speeches that he's given where he's brought people together from various cultures or various countries in order to say, hey, look, this problem that we have here in Ukraine, it's our problem, and we're trying to keep it from spreading. Stay tuned. In a world of incompetent bosses, micromanagers, and petty tyrants, one management professor claims that he can help you become the kind of leader that you would want to follow. You are listening to The Leadersmith. Now, here is your host, Darren Gertis. Okay, going on to the next one, uh, March 22nd, the Italian Chamber of Deputies. Again, that's their equivalent of their parliament. He says that he starts off by saying, this morning I talked with His Holiness, Pope Francis, and he said very important words. I understand that you want peace. I understand that you have to protect yourself. Both the servicemen and the civilians courageously defend the homeland. Everyone is defending the homeland, unquote. So he's quoting the Pope, which is probably not a bad thing to when you're speaking to Italians. And then he talks about, he connects the cities like the, the, uh, holy eternal city of Rome and the legendary city of Kiev. And now uh, he says this, from the city that is as important to our region as Rome is to the whole world, the origin of great culture of a great nation is in Kiev. And now we are on the verge of survival. Kiev has gone through a brutal wars throughout its histories, and it deserves, after all the losses and tragedies, to live in peace, in eternal peace. You know Ukrainians well. Our people who never wanted to fight, who are Europeans just like you, you know those who brought war to Ukraine. You know for sure those who order to fight and those who promote it. Almost all of them use Italy as a place for vacation. So don't be a resort for murderers. Block all their real estate accounts and yachts. Now, again, he's he's tying what's going on to Russians who they're you know they're wealthy. They yeah they 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 go out into uh, the Italian coast into the French and Italian Riviera for vacations, and so he's trying to connect those dots as well. Not just uh, you, you know leveraging the Pope, and not just talking about Rome and Kiev as these um, old historical cities, but even bringing it to the present day. He talks to Japan. Now, Japan, you would think, is, is a bit of a, a stretch. But what just happened in Ukraine and what just happened in Japan are tied together. So in Ukraine, in the first few days of the war, um, Chernobyl came under attack. He he uses the, the phrase cornable, uh, chernobyl, cornable, whatever. It's pronounced a little bit differently in Ukrainian. But uh, Chernobyl in 19, I think 86 was a big problem when the reactor started to melt down and it's still, there's still radiation in the region. The Fukushima plant had a tsunami and then that started to melt down a little bit and there was radiation there in Japan. And there was another leak just about the time that he made this speech, just before he made this speech. So when he's talking to Japan, he's tying that together. So he says this. Each of you knows what Chernobyl is, nuclear power plant in Ukraine, where a powerful explosion occurred in 1986. 
radiation release, the, uh, the consequences of which have been recorded in different parts of the planet. The 30 kilometer zone around Chernobyl is still closed. It is hazardous. During the elimination of the consequences of the explosions at the stations, thousands of tons of contaminated material, debris, and cars were disposed of in the forest in the closed areas, just in the ground. On February 24th, Russian armored vehicles passed through this land, lifting radioactive dust into the air. The Chernobyl station was captured by force, by weapon. Imagine a nuclear power plant where a disaster happened. Confinement that closes the destroyed reactor. Operating nuclear waste storage facility. Russia has turned this facility into an arena of war as well. And Russia is using this 30-kilometer territory in the closed zone to prepare new attacks against our defense forces. It will take years after the Russian troops leave Ukraine to investigate the damage they have done to Chernobyl. What sites of radioactive materials disposal were damaged and how radioactive dust spread on the planet? He goes on, I'm grateful to your state for its principled position for such a historic moment, for real help to Ukraine. You are the first in Asia to put real pressure on Russia to restore peace. Who supported the sanctions against Russia? And I urge you to continue to do so. I call for the united efforts of the Asian countries, your partners, to stabilize the situation so that Russia seeks peace and stops the tsunami of its brutal invasion of our state. Ukraine. We do a lot. We can do a lot together with you, even more than we can imagine. I know what a brilliant history of development you have, how you can build and defend harmony, follow the principles and value life. Okay, so Chernobyl, tsunami, and harmony. Like Harmony is, is key. It's big in Japanese culture, if you know much about Japanese culture. And then before that, that word tsunami, that was a nod to Fukushima and Chernobyl was talking about the same kind of things that they experienced. And, you know, nobody wants a nuclear reactor to be live and destroyed and whatever else. So he's tying things together nicely. 23rd March, uh, the French National Assembly. He says this, Ukrainians see that France values freedom as much as it always has been, and you protect it. You remember what it is, freedom, equality, brotherhood. Let me stop there. Freedom, equality, and brotherhood. Now that is you know, liberty, egalite, fraternite. That's their, their slogan, like liberty, uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness in the United States. It's the same kind of thing for the French. Okay. Each of these words is full of power for you. I feel it. Ukrainians feel it. That is why we expect from you, we expect from France, from your leadership, that you will be able to make Russia seek peace, to make it end this war against freedom, against equality, against brotherhood, against everything that made Europe united and full of free, diverse life. Okay, so again, he's speaking their language. He didn't say life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness to the French. He spoke in their terms. And so that's part of what's bringing them together. Again, you're seeing he's every place that he speaks, he's bringing that together. Okay, next, March 24th, the NATO summit. Now, this is really interesting because he's he's got some, some kind of harsh words for what's going on in with NATO. He says this, that NATO may be afraid of the Russians' actions. I'm sure you already understand that Russia does not intend to stop, and Ukraine does not intend and will not 
It wants to go further against the Eastern members of NATO, the Baltic states, Poland, that's for sure. Will NATO then stop thinking about it, worrying about how Russia will react? Who can be sure of that? And do not have confidence that Article 5 can work. Budapest hasn't worked for us already. Our Budapest memorandum has not worked for peace in Ukraine. Okay, so the Budapest mem memorandum is after the Russians invaded in 2014, there was a kind of a end to the hostilities where both sides promise things and they're both still kind of at war and they've never actually been fully at peace ever since 2014 when Russia inv invaded in Donbas and annexed Crimea. So if Budapest didn't work, I mean, what's the, what's the thing that Article 5 is going to work? Okay, and he goes on. And the only thing I demand from you, after such a month of war, this request for the sake of our military, after such a war against Russia, never, please never tell us again that our army does not meet NATO standards. Now, that's, that's harsh. Now, think about this. About this point, the U.S. has estimated that the Russian military lost about 7,000, maybe north of 7,000 troops in about a month of fighting in Ukraine. Now, to put that in perspective, the Russians would say about this time that they lost, maybe they, they, they put out an official estimate a little after this, I believe, where they said they lost 1,300 and change. 1,300, not 13,000. And the Ukrainians were estimating somewhere closer to 15,000 at this point. That Now, that estimate may be high. It's at least 7,000, probably closer up toward 10,000 at about this point in the war, about a, a little over a month in. Now, think about this. That's astounding because the Russians only lost 15,000 killed. Now, we're talking about killed all the way through, not just casualties. 15,000 killed in all of Afghanistan. Ten years of fighting in Afghanistan, they lost 15,000. And it, it, they lost at least 7,000 by U.S. intelligence estimates after a month in Ukraine. So to say, never tell us that our army doesn't meet NATO standards again, I think they deserve that. Okay, next one, uh, the 24th. Actually, that was less than less than a month in Ukraine. Okay, so the 24th, he's talking to the Sweden Reichstag. That's their parliament. He says, now the now he what he does here is try to, I mean, he's stretching a little bit, but he's trying to connect to each country. Now, the blue and yellow flag in the world is probably the most popular. That's the color of the Swedish flag. It's also the color of the Ukrainian flag. These colors are associated with freedom. This is true for different people on different continents. And of course, in Europe, the blue and yellow colors of the national flag are not just about Ukraine. This is about you as well, about Sweden. And obviously, this is not a coincidence. This is fate because we are equally for freedom. We are equally for peaceful life. We we are equally for respect for everyone. We are equally for justice and equally for caring for the natural world in which we live. Therefore, it's logical that Sweden is now among those who support Ukraine the most. Okay, that was the greatest stretch of any of these. Um, but I mean, he's, again, he's doing his best to connect, to say, I'm like you, you're like me, we're like each other. And by the way, what's happening here is going to happen elsewhere. I need your help so it doesn't happen elsewhere. He goes on, Russia went to war against Ukraine because it expects to go further to Europe, expects to destroy freedom further in Europe. This is a fundamental challenge for the European security system. Now, he's saying that to Sweden. Sweden, like Finland, 
are not part of NATO. So they're not protected by Article 5, just like Ukraine is not protected by Article 5, and Moldova is not protected by Article 5, and Crete, um, not Crete, um, Cyprus is not protected by Article 5. So he knows what he's saying when he's connecting here. Okay, March 24th, again, G7 summit. This is the group of seven nations, used to be the G8, now it's the G7. Some major nations as they talk about trade and, and major geopolitical events. He says this, quote, it is better to give Ukraine the kind of weaponry support that we really need now than to look for weapons for other countries later. We mean Georgia, Moldova, the Baltic states, Poland, Central Asia. The sooner this happens, as we ask, the sooner there will be peace in Eastern Europe. This is in our best interest. That is, this is in your best interest. Now, again, he's connecting what's going on there to their interest of, because look, Russia is going to spread. If they, if they get their way here, they're going to move on. He continues, I'm grateful to those of you who are trying 100% to stop this war. I believe we can do it. We will be able to make your group of seven, not just the great seven, but the great seven of peacekeepers. Okay, so he's connecting, again, their interest to Ukraine's interest, and he's done that well. Uh, on March 25th, the next day, he's talking to the European Council, the European Union's parliament for, I, I don't know that they call it a parliament, but it's called the European Council. He lists Russian atrocities, one after another, after another. And then he says this, and what about European Union? I want to thank you. You are united, united around us. But I want to say that it was done one way or another. But once again, the main thing is that you have united. And we really appreciate that. You have applied sanctions. We are grateful. These are powerful steps. But it was a little late. Because if we had, it had been preventive, preventative, Russia would not have gone to war. And at least no one knows for sure. There was a chance. You blocked Nord Stream 2. We are grateful to you, and rightly so. But it was a little late. Because if it had been in time, Russia would not have created a gas crisis. At least there was a chance. And now you and I are preparing Ukraine's membership in the European Union. Finally, here I ask you, please, do not be late, please. Okay, so he's he's talking about historical events where they were kind of slow on the stick and he's pleading, please let us into the European Union sooner than later. Now, if he gets into the European Union, there's going to be contingencies in in the European Union bylaws that will say, no, we have to we are we the European Union are responsible to uh, defend militarily and uh, financially anyone who is attacking us. Uh, and so that's where he's going with that. Okay, 29th March, the Danish Folketing, Folketing that's their parliament. Uh, it's, it is you in Denmark, in the country where the basic principles of the European Union, the Copenhagen criteria come from, who can feel the most important of all it is for all European solidarity to work for pressure on Russia, because the pressure is for Russia to seek peace. So again, he's connecting their great values. We know that we will be able to return to a normal, peaceful life. That is why I want to invite you to join our initiative to rebuild Ukraine after the war, after our victory. Now, I love that because he's pointing to the future. He's not just thinking about this war now, and he's asking for weapons in the speech, but he's also asking, hey, I want you to think about helping us rebuild 
our cities on the other side. And he does this with another a, a number of nations. I'm not highlighting that in most of this, but he's, he does that a, a number of times. Okay, we invite your companies, your specialists, your state, knowing your potential, your creative economic power. I offer your country to take patronage over one of our beautiful regions after the war. Of course, after the war, Mikhailov, the city of shipbuilders, can be such a city, such a region, which will unite you and us even more, which Denmark can help rebuild. Now, again, Denmark is a seafaring nation. And so as Ukraine is on the Black Sea, is a seafaring nature, nation, and this particular city is a port city, that makes sense. He's connecting those two countries in that way. Okay. March 30, Norwegian Storting, that's their parliament. He says this, Russia's treacherous actions at sea deserve special attention as it is one of the greatest threats to international security of all that has emerged since World War II. Ukrainian ports on the Black Sea and on the Sea of Azov have been blocked by Russia since the first day of their invasion. About 100 ships cannot enter the Mediterranean Sea. Some ships were simply hijacked. This is piracy for theft of cargo. Several ships were fired at, but the blockade of ports was implemented by Russia. Russia, not just by the Navy. They mined the sea. And now the mines planted by Russian forces are drifting at sea. Now, think about this. He's talking to another seafaring nation. They're not going to be at all happy with that that has happened or that that could happen near them. He continues, the future of Europe, the whole continent from north to south, from west to east, is being decided right now on our land, on Ukrainian soil, in Ukrainian air, in Ukrainian sea, so that your soldiers do not have to defend NATO's eastern flank, so that Russian mines do not drift into the ports and fjords, so that your people do not have to get used to the sound of air alarms, and that so Russian tanks are not amassed at your border. We must stop the aggression of the Russian Federation together and only together. And he continues. Now, now that, that was really interesting for another region. Again, he's connecting like this can happen there. It can happen in your country. It's happening here. Let's stop it here so it doesn't spread. And then he goes on to connect like a thousand years ago when the Norwegian Vikings were frequent visitors in Kiev and participated in the formation of the first Kiev state. Now that, that was really interesting language because what he's doing is saying, we're one people, we're together, we're, we're tied together. <laughs> it's brilliant. And then he says, again, he ties it together. He says, this was the case 77 years ago when Ukrainians along with other peoples of the anti-Hitler coalition liberated Europe, European lands from the Nazi invaders. And so that's really important because he's tying them together in ancient history, as well as fairly recent history with the Nazis. Okay, so you're seeing the trend. Now, here's one that's a little bit different. It's Australia. So on 31 March, he talks to the Australian Parliament and he says this. In May 2016, thousands of Australians gathered at Perth Airport to see the Ukrainian Mariah for the first time. The Mariah is the name for our uh, AN-225 aircraft. Mariah is a dream in English. 
After covering almost 15,000 kilometers, it delivered to Australia an urgent cargo, a 130-ton electric generator, which your enterprise desperately needed. Delivery by sea would take several months, and the Ukrainian plane did it in a few days. We have always been proud of our Mariah, not because of the it's the largest plane on the planet. First of all, it helped people from all over the world by delivering food, drinking water, equipment for peacekeeping and humanitarian missions. And on February 27th, as a result of fighting in the city of Hostomel, our plane Mariah was burned. Can we say that Russia has destroyed our dream? No. It burned the plane. It burned the iron. It destroyed matter, not the soul. The shell, not the essence. Not freedom, not dignity, not independence. Now, what he did with that was he talked about, now, and again, Ukrainians had this, the largest plane in the world called the Mariah, and it, it, it was able to, at one point, help the Australians with something that they, some generator that they needed, and, and it got it there. Uh, and so he's connecting them through that, okay? Um, and then he goes on and he asks, and he, again, his formula has been to, to thank, to connect, to appreciate them, and then to ask for more. And I haven't highlighted the ask for more a lot because I'm trying to show the connections more than anything else. But here I want to for a reason. He says, for example, when he's asking for weapons, he says, for example, you have a wonderful Bushmaster armored vehicles that can significantly help Ukraine, as well as other models of equipment and weapons that can strengthen our position. If you have the opportunity, Ukraine will be grateful to you. And within a week, they were sending those Bushmaster vehicles to Ukraine to do their part. Uh, again, he's masterful. It would be it would be a fascinating study and some academic somewhere will, I'm not going to, to calculate just how much aid was given to Ukraine during this time. And it will be in, in the tens, if not hundreds, I'm probably sure it's hundreds of billions of dollars of aid will be poured out on Ukraine. Okay, 31 March, the States General of the Netherlands, that's the Dutch people. He says this, Dutch people, I know what tomorrow, uh, I know that tomorrow your country will celebrate 450 years since the beginning of the armed uprising against tyranny, a fundamental event in your state for your society. Under normal circumstances, in my address to you, I would talk about it as you are used to hearing about it, about as history, as a historical moment, as about your heritage, as about the achievements of generations of people who lived 450 years ago. Okay, so he's talking about something that for the Dutch is the equivalent of, you know, this, uh, the 4th of July for Americans. Now, but today, as my country struggles against tyranny, I will speak about it solely about a current of, uh, solely as a current event, uh, as about something that must happen here and now, the faster, the better. So he's connecting the past to the present, connecting the people groups but not for those whom Russia has taken into its territory, simply deported as the Nazis did in occupied countries. Thousands of Ukrainian children and tens of thousands of adults were forcibly transported to the territory of the occupying state. Your city, The Hague, the capital of international justice, knows exactly how to do this. I'm sure they will do it to assert international law, to assert the rule of law, to assert justice that is clear to everyone on earth. Tyranny must lose. Tyranny must always lose. And for that to happen, freedom must get all the weapons that it needs to win to defend itself. Okay, so what was going on at the time was, and it's still going on, that the Russians were uh, forcefully 
taking Ukrainians out of Ukraine and deporting them into Russia. And that's very similar to what the Nazis did in occupied territories as well. And there, he's asking for justice from the Hague and he's asking for weapons. And again, he's tying it together so masterfully. Okay, 31 March, Federal Parliament of Belgium. He says this, quote, our state, which has already given thousands of lives in the war for freedom in Europe, that's that's how he's starting. He's talking about Belgium was one of the first to provide us with defensive assistance. This is a historical moment, a historical gratitude. We will never forget that. And there's not a lot that he's tying together with Belgium. He's asking for other stuff or talking about other things in that particular speech. But again, with every country, he's doing the same thing. On the 4th of April, talking to the Romanian parliament, he talks about one of their past leaders, uh, Nicolae Ceausescu. I, I can't pronounce it correctly, but in 1989, Nicolae Ceausescu uh, finally ended his life. For many years, it had been it had been clear that this had, man had lost his adequacy. It had been clear that he, his wife, his entourage, his security is what he's saying, uh, had been dragged into your country and dragging the people down to suffering, to poverty, to isolation, not just from the world, but from everything advanced in the world. That regime relied only on intimidation, repression, brutality, deception. There was nothing bright in it. The Romanian people revolted and defended themselves, saved themselves, having overthrown inadequate power because that was the only way. Ceausescu, his wife, his entourage, his security could not be convinced of anything. It's also impossible to convince those who promote war in Russia now, who give criminal orders, who develop plans for the genocide of the Ukrainian people and the destruction of the Ukrainian state. So again, he's the, the Romanians are well aware of this guy. He's a bad actor. They, they uh, are happy to be rid of him. And they're he's tying that experience in Romania to what's going on in Ukraine today. Together, we must stop the inadequate people who are accustomed to impunity and therefore decided that they are absolutely allowed or allowed absolutely everything. Together, we must stop those who want genocide in Europe. Why must we do this together? Each of you understands that Ukraine is not the last target of Russian aggression. Troops of occupiers are stubbornly trying to bypass our city of Mykolaiv to see, try to seize Odessa. And from there, Odessa is one step to Moldova. Now, Romania and Moldova are both neighbors that border Ukraine. And Moldova has a breakaway territory called Transnastria that the Russians support and try to uh, are trying to free as as its own little nation so that they can do to Moldova what the Russians did to Ukraine with Crimea and Donbass in 2014. So that's the background. That's the history. Russian state propagandists have long said that Moldova is also a target for Russian expansion. Therefore, the defense of Ukrainians of their own state is a fundamental prerequisite for security and independence of Moldova, and therefore a prerequisite for peace in the whole large region of the Danube. And the Romanians, the Moldovans, and Ukrainians are all kind of border states in that area. Okay, April 5th talks to the UN Security Council. He says this, yesterday I returned from our city of Bucha, recently liberated from the troops of Russian Federation. 
It is difficult to find a war crime that the occupiers have not committed there. And by the way, what they did in Bucha was terrible. Atrocities. I mean, like terrible atrocities, innocence, rape, torture, all kinds of bad things. He goes on. The Russian military searched for and purposely killed anyone who served our state. They executed women outside the houses when approaching and simply calling someone alive. They killed whole families, adults and children, and they tried to burn their bodies. How is this different from what the ISIS terrorists were doing in the occupied territory, except that it's done by a permanent member of the United Nations Security Council? It destroys the international unity of states, destroys states' borders. Now, that's a great question. You have a permanent member of the Security Council, the, the, the group of, of countries that are trying to keep stability in the world that is doing this. He says this, I would like to remind you of the first article of the first chapter of the UN Charter. What is the purpose of our organization? To maintain, maintain peace and to force peace. Now, the UN Charter is being violated literally from the first article. And if so, what's the point of all the other articles? If this continues, the finale will be that each state will rely only on the power of arms to ensure its security, not on the international law, not on international institutions. Then the UN can simply be dissolved. Now, he's right. I mean, if the UN is not going to be able to do anything about this, why is it, what, what's it even there for? What, what's, what is it doing exactly? Okay, so that's his, uh, his message to the UN. On 5 April, he talks to the Cortes Generales of Spain, that is uh, their parliament. And he talks about an incident um, that is familiar to them, but I admit I had to look up to like, what happened there? Okay, so he says this, imagine that people now in Europe live for weeks in basements to save lives from shelling, from air bombs, daily, 2022, April. And in their reality, Ukraine, it's as if it's April, 1937, when the whole world learned of the name of one of your cities, Guserna. Imagine that in ordinary cities, Conditions can be artificially created where more, more than 100,000 people live for weeks without water, without food, without medicine. Okay, so that's what's going on in Mariupol. That's what's happening there where people are like hiding in basements trying to survive from bombings. But he talked about this place, Gusernia, Gusernicia. I don't know how you pronounce it. But that city was just destroyed, utterly destroyed by Nazi bombing during the Spanish Civil War, the Nazis came in and just carpet bombed the city. And so he's tying it to what's going on there. And same, same kind of thing with Ireland. Now, Ireland was a tricky situation because the, the Ukrainian, um, their, their closest ally has been Great Britain. So you don't want to uh, upset Great Britain while you're trying to speak to Ireland. So it's a kind of a tricky thing, but I think he threaded the needle fairly nicely. So he said this, and he's talking about the Russians. In the 21st century, they see their state as a colonial empire that allegedly has the right to subjugate neighboring nations and destroy any basis for their independent living, destroy even the very identity of nations, everything that makes us Ukrainians. Now, he very carefully worded this to show that in the past, you know, you remember that experience, what it was like with Britain when they were subjugating you, but now the Russians are doing that. So he wasn't really swatting hard at Britain. He was kind of, you know, explaining this was what you remember what that was like. We don't want that to repeat. 
So he, he was very careful in this, and I think he did a very good job tying things together. Okay, April 7th, Greece, he talks to the, the Greek parliament. He says the Ukrainian Greek community is one of the largest in the world. For centuries, our people have lived side by side, raised children, and built a future. The ties between Ukraine and Greece are so old that it's now impossible to find their origin. Greek polices on our Black Sea coast, uh, cultural exchange and trade, community, coexistence, all this in thousands of years of history. It's with Greece that the development of Christianity is not only tied in our country, but also in our region in general. Ukraine is one of the largest Orthodox countries, and the light of baptism was brought by the Greeks. If someone tried to snatch Greek roots from Ukrainian history and culture, we would lose a fundamental part of ourselves. And that's how he tied himself, what's going on in U Ukraine to the Greeks before he talked about other things. Uh, I, we need more help and weapons and what have you. That's what he talked about. And I think he did a pretty good job talking about it historically. Uh, next, Cyprus. Cyprus is an island in the Med. And uh, here, now Cyprus is also not in NATO. Just like Moldova, just like Nor—not uh, Norway, Finland and Sweden, Cyprus is not a member of NATO. So he says this, Ukrainians have not seen such atrocities since the Nazi invasion during World War II. Now, again, if you don't have a lot to tie together, like they don't have a lot to tie together with Cyprus, just raise the Nazis. The Nazis were bad. Um, what the Russians are doing is bad. It's very similar tied to that memory. But then he also talks about what's going on in Cyprus today. Cyprus is kind of like uh, the Swiss or the Cayman Islands, it's kind of a haven for uh, where people want to park their money. And it's also a region where they travel and, and uh, vacation. He says this, but at the level of your state, it's also possible at least to freeze, uh, to freeze the use by Russians of all their yachts and other vessels in your waters. You can suspend the current privileges for Russian citizens, starting from the so-called golden passports for all Russians without exception and ending with dual citizenship for them. They have these golden passports. They can be a Cyprus citizen as well as a citizen of somewhere else if they just pay a certain amount. And that's part of what's going on in Cyprus. So he's talking about how they can help their war efforts through sanctions. And so he's tying that together. Cyprus also knows that it's a very small place and that you know, they could be in danger if Russia ever wanted them to, or wanted to knock over their territory. Okay, April 8th, this is the Undunstaka uh, deputies. This is the parliament of Finland. I can't pronounce that either. But he, he was just talking about the atrocities in Bucha, uh, what was talked about a couple of um, ones ago here where he was talking about Bucha, the terrible atrocities. And then he said this, I'm sure that you realize if the Russian army is ordered to invade your land, they will do it. Same to your country. I do not wish this. They will do what happened in Bucha to your cities. Remember, Finland is not in NATO. They're well aware of what could happen to them. Okay. The people of Finland, you've already seen in your history the cruelty and absurdity of the invasion of Russia. Let's be honest, the threat remains. Everything must be done to prevent this from happening again. Russia's war against Ukraine is now deciding not only the fate of our state, not only the fate of our people, but the fate of all those who have a common border with Russia. And again, Finland has a common border with Russia, and Russia ha and Finns have not always gotten along. And so 
Finland and Sweden are now actually in the process of becoming members of NATO at the same time. They used to be, um, the majority used to be against NATO membership, and now it's like north of 60% for both countries to join NATO after seeing what happened in Ukraine. But just as your courage saved your country from Stalin's invasion, our courage resists this invasion for 44 days already, but much remains to be done to win. Of course, unlike before World War II, the democratic world has now realized that the expansion of tyranny cannot be ignored. If the people are fighting for freedom, they must be supported. And so he goes on from there to ask for help. And so Finland is doing its level best to make sure that this doesn't happen to them. And he's tying that concern to their cause. Okay, 11 April, the Republic of Korea. Now, he talked, to, he talked to Japan earlier, and Japan and Korea are right there, real close to, to Russia. I mean, they're both just across the Sea of Japan from Russia. And yes, Korea is mediated by North Korea and China a little bit, but you could very quickly just ride right across the Sea of Japan in order to get to Korea. Okay, this is what he says to Korea. Mariupol is destroyed. There are tens of thousands dead. But despite, even despite this, the Russians do not stop the offensive. They want to make Mariupol a demonstratively destroyed city. Ladies and gentlemen, Korean people, this could be seen in the 20th century. And you remember that. You remember what it was like to defend your land. You remember when in the 1950s, you were attacked by those who wanted to destroy your freedom. They destroyed, they killed. What would they have left from your identity if they had succeeded? This is a horrible question, but uh, you withstood. The world helped you. Now we want the same. The world helped you. Please help us. And so he's tying their experience in the Korean War to the experience in Ukraine. On 12 April, they talked to the Samos. The Samos is the Parliament of Lithuania. I've actually been in the Parliament of Lithuania at a conference back in 2001. Yeah, 2000, 2001 or 2002. It was it was shortly after 9-11, which was kind of freaky time to be traveling. Uh, but yeah, so I've been there. Um, he, he says this, Dear Lithuanian people, I'm grateful to you for the leadership, for being the first to abandon Russia energy now when it's really necessary. I'm grateful to you Gitanis for the important decision, for being the first to give us real help, to give us weapons, stingers, and more. It was a historical manifestation of leadership. After all, like the Lithuanian people, like no other, understand how the occupiers can destroy freedom and at what cost the independence is rebuilt then, which you have done exemplary. To give you some sense, I told you I was at a, at a uh, conference in the Lithuanian parliament. Uh, Poland was the first to break away from the Soviet Union. Lithuania was shortly behind them. And uh, so the Lithuanians and then some others are looking at the Soviet constitution and, and reading it and says, well, we're uh, free and independent nations that are that are voluntarily part of this Soviet uh, Union. And they're going, um, we'd like to go home now. So they read that, they declare their independence. And then the Russians, the Soviet Union hasn't collapsed yet. The, the Soviets send tanks. So, and when I say Soviets, essentially it's Russia that is in charge of the Soviet Union. They send tanks and they come to the Samos. Well, the, the people of Vilnius in Lithuania, that's their capital city, they come out and they, they lock arms in rows, eight, 10 people deep 
in rows of just a human chain all around the Samos uh, so that the Russians couldn't get in because they, were, they would be provoking a huge international incident. And the Russians blinked and they went away and they declared their their independence and like there was some bloodshed but it didn't turn into just like destroying the parliament and killing all the parliamentarians i talked to one member of parliament and this is how desperate they were at the time they he told me that they were actually inside the parliament building unscrewing the railings like taking off the like unscrewing these so that they would have something in their hands in order to defend themselves when the russians broke through that's how desperate it was. So the Lithuanians understand the Lithuanians also like the Poles and like the Finns also share a border with Russia and they had been dominated by Russia and none of them wanted to experience this again. So when he's talking to the Lithuanians about what they've done, that's the background. He goes on. It's not just about us. It's not just about Ukraine. The real Russian plans are obvious to everyone. Ukraine is just the beginning. Next, God forbid, but next is your state, other Baltic states, Moldova, Georgia, Poland, Central Asian states. The threats are already being heard from Moscow against Finland and Sweden. And so, and, and this is legit. He's telling the truth. You're, you, they're, they're, the Russians were saber rattling toward them. Uh, and so, yeah, this was, this was something significant. Okay, next, I got to keep going. This is Estonia. So the, the Baltic states are Lithuania, Estonia, and Latvia. And then beyond that is Finland, and below that is Poland. Okay, so this is the, I can't even pronounce, R-I-I-G-I-K-O-G-U. That's the name of the Estonian parliament, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. Okay, so he says this, this is a time when we can either stop Russia or lose the whole of Eastern Europe for a very long time, lose any hope for a safe and free life on the continent governed by universally recognized law, not by force. The black pages of history should not be repeated when deported Ukrainians and Estonians remain for so many years in Siberia or the Russian, uh, Russian Far East. There are already more than enough Ukrainian and Estonian graves, graves of those who died from communist deportations. Yeah, that's right. It's a, it's a common experience for both of them. We're on the same page. We, we both have been repressed by the Russians and we don't want it to happen a second time. That's what he's saying. Keep in mind that most of Stalin's torturers didn't bear responsibility for everything that they did. Therefore, it's especially important to bring to justice a new generation of Russian executors. And this must be done now for what they have done in Ukraine so that they do not have to be searched for war crimes against Baltic nations, against Finland, against Poland, or any other country. All those who have already gained their freedom in the 20th century must preserve it in the 21st. It's pretty powerful words. Right. Like, so he's he's really connecting it in a very strong way. Um, and again, remember, you know, they could be saying, hey, we have Article five. We're part of NATO. But you see how well the Minsk uh, agreement has held up or even the Budapest memorandum. The Budapest memorandum was this in 1994. Uh, the U.S., the U.K., and Russia were three nations that said, Ukraine, if you give up your nuclear weapons, guess what? We will, we will guarantee your borders. Now, they gave up their nuclear weapons, and Russia invaded in 2014. And the U.S. is kind of has at least at first they're now getting a little bit more behind ukraine but for a while there they were kind of sitting on their hands 
to their credit, the, the Brits were doing everything to, to be useful as possible. But these were the three guarantors, the US, the UK, and Russia. If you give up your nukes. And so uh, these agreements are only as good as the paper they're printed on if they're not enforced. And he's speaking directly to that. Okay, 21 April, he's talking to the Republic of Portugal. Now, what do the, what do the Portuguese have in common? Well, if all else fails, talk, talk about the Nazis. Here we go. When we turn to the nations of the free world for help, we say simple and clear things. We need weapons to protect ourselves from brutal Russian invasion, which brought to our people as much evil as the Nazis invasion did 80 years ago. And your people, who will soon celebrate the anniversary of the Carnation Revolution, which freed your people from dictatorship, clearly understand our feelings, exactly understands the feelings of all the other nations of our region who seek freedom. Okay, tying their revolution to here, just like tying the uh, the 450 revol year anniversary, just like it would be our you know Fourth of July, same kind of idea. Okay, he's talking to the World Bank on 22 April. He says, the Russian invasion completely destroyed normal economic relations. The first loss analysis alone yielded approximately $550 billion in losses. Let me tell you what that means. $550 billion for Ukraine is like two and a half years of their gross domestic product. That means everything that they produce for two and a half years. So a thief breaks into your house, and then he destroys all of your stuff to like everything that you have over a lifetime gathered. And it will cost you two and a half years of your salary just in order to restore things, just to make yourself back to the day before he broke in. That's what's happened in Ukraine. So this, he's talking in terms that the World Bank understands. And then he goes on to this something. Here's what's coming in the future says this, due to the shortage of Ukrainian food on the world market, the beginning of the crisis is already being felt. A recent report by the UN Food Program stated that rising food prices this year would lead to starvation of about 47 million people in 81 countries. Without Ukrainian wheat, corn, vegetable oil, and other commodities, this will result not only in physical food shortages in many countries in Africa and Asia, but also in political instability and possibly a new migration crisis. People will look for the culprits of this crisis, in particular, taking to the squares in their country in the cities. People will look for ways to escape. So by helping us, you can help yourself as well. Stabilize the financial situation in our region and in the world in general. Ensure security in key markets, starting with food. Now, why is he talking about food? Well, Ukraine's known as the breadbasket of the world. And so... They do a lot, have a, a lot of agriculture. In fact, I read about just recently that in certain parts of Ukraine, the farmers were sowing the fields, wearing flak jackets, like expecting to be shot at or bombed, but still trying to sow the fields. And they only have been able to sow about 20% of the fields that they would be able to. Now, again, they supply, they're like the, the in the single digits, like number one to nine exporter of wheat and corn and um, soybean oil, I think it is, and, and some a number of other things. And this is going to be a, a real thing. We will feel it here. We won't have a food shortage, but we'll have price hikes in the United States because a lot of this food is going to be exported elsewhere. But there are going to be people, millions of people potentially, that will starve because of what Russia is doing in Ukraine. I mean, think about that. that that's something. Okay, let's keep going. So 
he's talked about, he's talked to all these nations and he said, essentially, you're like us. We're, we're the same people. And our problem is your problem. It, it, it's, if we can stop it here, it won't infect you. And that's been his message all the way through. But then he's also done one, one other thing. And I haven't highlighted it. I, I've gone through about mm, 30 some odd of his speeches in the series here. So I've gone through a number of them. But he's talked to the Ukrainians far more. He's talked to Ukrainians at probably about a three to one ratio uh, of these speeches. So for every one of these that he's done to a different parliament, he's talked to his own people about what's going on, keeping them posted, encouraging them, trying to offer helpful words, whatever. But this is the far, by far the best part of one of the best speeches that he's talked about the whole time. And I, I, I'm just I'm fascinated by this. The title of the speech is Being Brave is Our Brand. And I just love the, the turn of phrase here. And he says this, he's talking now to Ukrainians. And he, uh, he usually addresses them by saying Ukrainians, strong people of a free nation or some equivalent kind of starting point when he addresses his own people. And he says this, we have always been brave, the bravest in the world. I'm sure of that because who else would do what Ukrainians do? Who else had so much courage to constantly fight against any manifestations of tyranny and defend freedom? In every election, in revolutions, and in war, who else had the courage to fight against all Russian forces on land, in the air, and at sea? Who else had the courage to go unarmed against Russian armored, motor ve armored vehicles where the Russians temporarily managed to seize something? And to teach all political leaders, wherever they are, to be at least a little Ukrainian, at least a little brave. In fact, this is our brand. This is what it means to be us, to be Ukrainians, to be brave. If everyone in the world had at least 10% of the courage that we Ukrainians have, there would be no danger to international law at all. There would be no danger to the freedom of nations. We will spread our courage. <laughs> what a great speech. Uh, again, you know, I, I was telling you when we started, this was not going to be easy. I was telling you, look, I'm going to cover a lot. And I told you, this is how he united the world. Uh, he, he's easily the, the leader of the free world, at least in this moment, right? Because he's at the pointy edge of the spear between freedom and tyranny. And you got you to gotta know that if Putin wins and if Putin gets more ground, he's going to take more ground. And you got to know that uh, President Xi in China is looking at this because he really would like to take back Taiwan. And so <laughs> Zelensky has done a masterful job in uniting the world by saying we are together. You and I, we're we. We're not you and me, we're us. And he's done that again and again. And this is the leadership lesson here, because if you can do that with any group, you can have great traction in becoming an us, not a you and I. Hey, I hope that that helps you. I hope that that gives you food for thought, not just to understand what's going on in the world or why Zelensky is a great leader, but how you can be the kind of leader that you would want to follow, the kind that unites rather than divides. Thanks for your time. Thank you.